Howdy, y'all! And welcome into SOS Podcast. Ben Fields here. This is my podcast. We are back from Montana. We're digging back in. We had an awesome time. Got lots of good feedback on the episode that we dispatched from uh, Montana with Matt Copenhaver last week. So thanks for that. And uh, before we get started, I got to give a, a big shout out to some of the patrons who support the show over on Patreon. Uh, we have patrons Nick Spar, Bo Shipley, Matt Zachary, Jonathan Williams, Mary Ellen Dover, John Trippett, Nick Barnett, Brian Sanders. Thank you guys. Blake Dockery, Ryan Tenry. Thank you. Thank you guys for helping us keep the lights on. Got to give a shout out to Brian Trainer at River Dog Bakery as well. Uh, who's helped us along the way too. So check out South of Scruffy on Patreon if you want to help support the podcast as we grow this thing into whatever it wants to be, and whatever the patrons want it to be. So check it out, patreon.com slash South of Scruffy. All right. I have Todd Steed on the podcast this week. That's uh, Todd Steed of Smokin' Dave and the Primo Dopes fame. That's Todd Steed from Todd Steed and the Sons of Fear fame. That's Todd Steed from WUOT's nightly jazz program called Improvisations Fame. I met Todd about 10 years ago, and and we've always had great conversation, and I feel so fortunate to know him. Todd has recently produced a podcast called Improvisations to Go. That's a travel podcast where Todd roamed around the United States by train car interviewing jazz musicians and learning about the roots of jazz music as he went. Todd is Knoxville music royalty, man, and... uh, As SOS Podcast weaves this quilt that we're weaving, do you weave quilts? As we're quilting this quilt from Knoxville's finest artistic and cultural fabric, uh, we would be remiss if we did not include a big old Todd Steed square right in the middle of that quilt. Todd has a new album out with Spoken Dave and the Primo Dopes called Historic Knoxville High. They haven't made a big deal about it yet. They haven't officially done an album release because COVID-19, so they just kind of sneaked the album onto Spotify, and uh, you can actually be one of the first ones to hear it, but listen to this podcast first. So this is my chat here with uh, my buddy Todd Steed. We're doing the podcast. I'll go anywhere with microphones and blankets, man. (laughs) Sound blankets and microphones are the key to your heart. That's that's home. I listened to a podcast of yours uh, not too long ago. On, on WUOT, I think, uh, or it was, it was something that you you had done down in New Orleans. Um, oh yeah, improvisations to go. Yeah, yeah. What was that? Well, it's uh, you know, I I try to make a list of all the things I love to do, and I was like, travel, eat, music, uh, trains conversations, exploring, walking, you know, it was all on this list. And I was like, I wonder how I could get paid to do that. <laughs> <laughs> or or at least make it not cost me so much. Right. And so I just, you know, jazz in particular, I'm, I'm passionate about. I love all music, but, but jazz is sort of my focus overall. And I just went to my bosses and I said... I want to do a travel podcast where I go listen to jazz, you know, and they're like, okay, uh, tell me more, you know? And so I wrote it all out and I said, I think it'll be okay. And then, then I can also use it on improvisations on my radio show. So we always need new content. We always need something fresh. 
And then I went and found some sponsors. Mm. And as you know, it's great to have a sponsor. Yeah. And uh, and we have wonderful sponsors. And so um, uh, that's it. Uh, I, I got a little portable recorder. <laughs> and, uh, you know, the old iPhone 8, the brick version, <laughs> and went. And that was in, and it was a lot of planning. Did you do all the planning? I mean, it was a one-man band, pretty much. I did every single thing on it, except so I, you know, I did all the planning and the legwork and the logistics. Um, the only thing where I brought in other people was that uh, we we created a bunch of our own music for it. Mm. So that was the other thing on the list. I was like, I like to write, write and record and improvise. <laughs> so I got uh, Daniel Kimbrough and Hunter Deacon. And uh, also John from Top Hat, he played some bass too, and then and then some other people here and there, but basically we you know we recorded a bunch of music, so we didn't have to get permission. <laughs> yeah, didn't have to license anything, right? And, and of course, you know, along the way, we use a lot of the music from the people I interview. But I right there on while I'm recording them, I'm going, do I have permission to use your music? And they all, of course, they all you know the bad plus, and everybody's like, yeah, sure. The bad so, plus is something else, man. Yeah, they were, and they were. And that was like that was Memphis, and they're not from Memphis, but um, they were there when I was there. And I, you know, I got into Memphis, and I googled what's going on live music, jazz, and went like the bad plastic. You're kidding me! <laughs> it's like, and then that was the kind of the like, whole podcast was like that. I mean, every like luck is such a great feature, yes, in, in life and in, <laughs> in uh, podcasting. But I mean, the luck was amazing because. At the time, I, I was going to do it all in that spring, like April, May, so I could sneak in baseball games. Hmm. You know, that was also on the list. But then I had I crossed baseball off. I was like, I think that's a stretch. It's just a little too much to add to the plate. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I was I, I felt a little guilty even. Like, I probably shouldn't be going to baseball games. There's plenty to do. And and there were a lot of work scheduling things. Oh, I can't go in April. I can't go in May. Uh, I'm just going to go. December, January, February. I was kind of bummed out because I went also, I like warm weather. Yeah. And I was like, oh, I'm going to do D.C. in the winter. And oh, but then, I mean, I finished all that right as COVID hit D.C. Mm. So that was lucky too. Yeah. Because I got all the content. Well, we we spent a lot of time during COVID sitting around listening to your voice on on Alexa (laughs) for... uh, yeah, your your show improvisations, but also the podcast too. Oh well, I mean, and that was also you know everybody talks about their COVID project. That was mine yeah. because once I got all the content, you know, I went home and I put it all up in Dropbox, and I had literally I can't remember how many hours it was, but forty or fifty hours of content. I mean, a lot of it's just you know. Six minutes of train sound, so mm, okay. Because, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you need that background stuff to make it sound cool. And 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 I work from home, and, I'll, and I, I, that's all I did. I just sat there and worked on that podcast. Sometimes I get up at like 8 or 9 in the morning, work on it till lunch, take a break, work on it till dinner, take a break, and work on it till I went to bed, including making, you know, mixing all the music. So I was like, okay. I got something to do. That's cool that you were able to, I don't know, you work at the university, right? Yeah. And you were able to approach them and say, hey, I've got an idea for a passion project. Yeah. You know, and, and then to be able to carry it out kind of right at the right at the right time. It sounds like you got a pretty sweet gig. 
Yeah, it's 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 a, a luck, you know. It's a lot of just right place, right time, and you know, even in New Orleans, like I would just get on the you know on the search app and say, you know, okay, I've got a ton of stuff planned tomorrow. I got nothing tonight. What's what's happening tonight? Delfeo Marcellus is playing about two blocks from where I was staying, and I was like, oh man, maybe maybe I can get an interview with him. So I go on his website and contact. And okay, this these this never works, by the way. <laughs> I mean, it never works. And I'm like, hey, I'm doing a travel podcast, even though there's nothing to show you because there aren't any. You know, I just started today. Uh, uh, could you do an interview? And his assistant wrote me back like in 20 minutes and said, yeah, come, come out to the club tonight and he'll, you know, he'll talk to you. And he gave me what I felt like was the best interview of all, all of the interviews. And it was your first one. And it, and it was just... the first one. Yeah, I was like, oh man, this is going great. And I was like, <laughs> the rest of the interviews were good, but he gave me the one where I just, my mouth was just sort of open the whole time. Like everything he was saying was just hitting me, hitting me right in the heart or in the gut or in the brain. And, and we got into this like a deep discussion on race and jazz. I mean, he even says in the interview, I think I might even, I don't even think it's in the podcast, but he says, after this long thing, we talk about race and democracy. And, and he goes, ah, I don't know what this has to do with jazz, but he goes, I hope you can use it. <laughs> how many uh, how many cities did you hit on that run? And did you do them all together? No, I mixed them up. You know, I tried to make it where I could go by train. So I did... Um, even though it editing, you can fool people a little bit with editing to make everything's flow. Cause I wanted the first episode to be new Orleans because that's where jazz started. But I actually went to first, I went to Jackson, Tennessee. Hmm. So yeah, yeah, of course, Jackson. <laughs> um, and I just, I, I gave myself like uh, a project. I was going to say, Find jazz tonight and make an episode. And if you fail, make that the episode. Mm. And I just got on Facebook and started writing the music stores in town. And they were like, yeah, we know this guy. And I called him. He's like, well, um, I, uh, no, there's no, there's no jazz in Jackson. And I'm going to tell you that. <laughs> and he goes, but I'm doing, we're, there, there's a parade up in Gibson County, a Christmas parade. And I'm leading the student jazz band. I'm like, Sounds like jazz to me. Yeah, I was like, <laughs> close enough. That was the most popular episode. Really? Yeah, it's called White Squirrel Christmas. And uh, and and it was also not played against all the others. But for whatever reason, I got more feedback on that one. I got more downloads on that one. Uh, got more streaming on that one, whatever you want to call it. It got shared more than any other. And it's about a, a music teacher who was had this like really promising career and just got fed up and became a school teacher in the middle of nowhere. Isn't it funny how it's, it's the stuff that you, that you push and try to force in there that doesn't seem to work out. And it's the stuff where you say, well, if it doesn't work, I'll make that the episode. That's the most popular thing. And that's just the way it goes. Yeah. And that's a lesson, you know, to yeah. not, to, to let, to let the story tell itself mm. and not to try to go in with a, with a story in your mind and then find things to fit your, your narrative. Yes. And so, yeah, I remember there's an interview with Ken Burns where he says, um, they ask him about how he put together the country episode. And he said, 
you know, he said, what was your narrative? Because I didn't have one. He said, on all mine, I just go and I just gather content and I look for where, where's, where's the story. That's brilliant. And I had to learn, I had to learn that the hard way from a filmmaking standpoint um, with these, we've been doing these travel documentaries the last couple of years with surrounding fly fishing and saltwater. And we've gone down twice with these, you know, these, these, these outlines of these stories that we're going to go down there and create and catch. And we tried that the first couple of times and it just, it, it, we got everything back. We get all the footage back and we found that we were trying to kind of fit a, you know, square peg in a round hole by trying to make this idea that we had come to life. Um, but this last year we went down and we said, listen, we got to learn our lesson. We got to let the story tell itself. We, we have to, we have to, we have to see what's there. We can't, we can't, we, we, we can't force the, these things to happen. We gotta, we gotta let the story tell itself and much better success. I didn't know Ken Burns uh, had the same approach. That's validating. Yeah, he must. Well, he must have learned, you know. And uh, you know, I'm glad that he did. I'm glad that I heard him say that before I got started because it also took a lot of pressure off of me. Mm. Like I'm just, yeah, I'm not going to go down and have to ha- have a storyline. I got a feeling I'm just going to interview everybody I can. I mean, I interviewed random people in coffee shops, and um, the, there was a woman on the train. Uh, going from Memphis to New Orleans, and she seemed to have something she wanted to get off her chest. You know, I just, I mean, just in talking to her, and and she started talking about this story. So, you know, how, do you ride the train launch? Because I've never ridden the train. And I'm like, why are you riding the train uh, all of a sudden? Then, and she goes, Well, I I got a cancer diagnosis, mm. and it was on my bucket list. And I figured if I didn't do it now, then that's it wasn't going to get on the get done, and so her husband bought her this ticket, you know, from Chicago to New Orleans, mm. and uh, and I and I kind of stopped for a second and I said, "I'm doing a travel <laughs> podcast, and I, and, I, and if you don't want to talk about this, that's fine, but I would love to get your story, and I would, you know, I'll send you the things for your your husband and your family, you know, as yeah. well, and." Even if we don't use it, you know, I'll, I'll have a recording of you talking about it. And she's like, sure. And then she, she, you know, we started over. And uh, that to me, that was one of the most poignant moments because she's describing the train ride, but she's also, you know, describing her situation. She saw, she goes, you never know when the ride's over. You just wait till the train stops. You don't worry about it. You just enjoy the view. You know, I'm like, She's talking about herself, whether she realizes it or not. And, uh, you know, it was just this beautiful moment. We're just sitting on this train, and and she talks about how the the, the train would rock her to sleep every night. Yeah. It was like being in her mother's arms. It was just like a, amazingly touching. And, you know, there was no nothing in, in my plan that said, find a touching story from woman on train, you know. It's amazing. Just let it happen. Being being curious and being, I don't know, it seems like being um, present and not having an agenda can sometimes pay off. Yeah. Well, it, it, yeah, it worked. You know, I mean, I think it worked. And is that how you approach the whole, the whole travel uh, podcast? Yeah. I mean, for part of me initially was going to be like, do no planning whatsoever Mm. and truly improvised 
you know, improvisations ago. But then I realized like, well, there's certain people that if I can get an interview with Nick Spitzer from American Roots or Dr. Michael, Dr. Michael White or Kermit Ruffins, who's a hero. Yeah. And Kermit Ruffins needs advance notice. You, you know. Yeah. Uh, he's a big name. Yeah. He's, he's like, he, his days are full. And so um, I was, I was glad that, that there was a mixture of planning too. But then once I, once, you know, once I got to interview Kermit Ruffins, I could see what he wanted to talk about, and it and was it wasn't a lot of what was on my like little list of questions. Mm-hmm. So I kind of let him go, you know. And he talked a lot about his childhood and his his mom and dad and and what he ate as a child. And I was like, okay, this is this is what he wants to talk about. So let's let him go. Yeah, <clears throat> it's funny too. I mean, there's there's you know musical heroes and things like that. And they say never to meet them because you're just going to be disappointed. Uh, but but sometimes, <clears throat> I don't know, it seems like you can't really have expectations going into stuff like that. Or you might be disappointed if you wanted to uh, you know, guide a conversation a certain way with a guy like Kermit Ruffins. Yeah, and, and he, he was, was already drinking. And it was, uh, <laughs> you know, I think it was around noon. Yeah. But uh, he was just having a little tiny drink. But I, he, was, he was in a happy, laid-back mood, and I yeah. was just, just let him go. And he is kind of a hero, and and he was everything I kind of hoped he would be. You Good. know, I can't help that. Good. I did meet when it did meet Ozzy Osbourne when I was like a, a teenager. Well, uh, and he was the get? opposite. He was everything I hoped he wouldn't be. Really? Yeah, but but it made for a great story. You know, like me and Dave Nichols, my old buddy and music partner in crime uh, since high school. Uh, went to see Black Sabbath at the uh, Civic Coliseum, and and they were actually pretty bad. They were actually it's a bad show. It was pretty lame. Really, they were bored. Like like that's the first time I've ever been to a show. You know, as a kid, I've been to a show that I could actually see that they were bored. Oh man! Because like sometimes the bands will fake it. You know, like Foreigner, they'll jump up and down whether they they really feel it or not. Yeah, and I feel that's like fine. that's what they're getting paid for. Yeah, yeah, and like Kiss. You know, like you would never be able to tell that Kiss was bored or not bored because they're, they're acting excited. Good enough. I feel that they were excited when I did see them, but um, but I, I, I could tell that they were bored. Uh, and Ozzy, when he wasn't singing, he would just walk off the stage and sit on the side of the stage and smoke cigarettes, and just he looked bored out of his mind. And so... Um, just taking a five, guys. You, yeah, yeah, like, <laughs> did someone want a bass solo? no. <laughs> No, don't don't enable that. So we went up to the we went up like groupies up to the to the uh, the Hyatt up on the hill there, and and then we met Geezer Butler, uh, speaking of bass solos, and uh, Tony Iommi, the guitar player, and they were they were actually like wonderfully humorous and funny and sweet and kind and cool, and uh, and engage and you know they they really were talking with us. And we asked where Ozzy was, and they they both kind of had a look on their face like, uh, you might try the bar. <laughs> so I was like, oh, no, okay. Oh, good, the Tiki Lounge or whatever it was called. So we went up there, and I went, Mr. Osborne, and he said, get the fuck away from me, you little prick. And I was like, whoa. And Dave and I just started, and his manager or something was there. He's like, not a good time, not a good time. You know, no autographs. And so Dave and I took that opportunity to, hey, hey, it's a dog. A dog just came in. You must know that I love dogs. Do, 
Uh, do you remember when I brought Bonnie to your house? Yes. She got in a fight with your dog you got immediately. Got in a fight with Dargy, yeah. <laughs> Dargy right away. <laughs> it's all forgiven, man. Oh, good. Dargy, we forgive Dargy. And, but uh, yeah, so so Dave and I uh, instead just ordered some drinks illegally, you know, underage drinks from the Tiki Lounge at the Hyatt. So, and sat so, there and stared at Ozzy Osbourne, yeah. who did, the luster had just completely worn off of. But, we, you know, we were still laughing up like, oh, man, he's a mess, you know. <laughs> Hey. Well, well, that I mean that that is kind of the the Ozzy Osbourne story I would I would want to have I think yeah it's better than he just signed the autograph and said yeah. you know here you go oh nicest guy in the world yeah <laughs> yeah that's not no nah, he, he was it was more Ozzy yeah. I mean he he cussed us you know yeah. he swore at us it wasn't just like he turned away and solemnly looked in the other direction he cussed us <laughs> up and down and it was uh, it was you know in retrospect yeah. It's much better. It's just it's just what you want. So I'm excited about. Uh, I heard about Smoke and Dave for years and your guys' band, but uh, I I don't think I ever. It seems like you guys were kind of split up or not playing together while I was going to see live music. Yeah, but, but we, you guys are back in action, right? As it were, well, there's the bad there's the bad <laughs> luck of the, the the COVID timing, you know. So the good mm. luck was like I got all the podcast stuff. Done. Then had tons of time to work on it, um, make the best of the pandemic. Whereas uh, the Dopes project, uh, it kind of threw a wrench in it. And so, um, how we, so? Yeah. Well, so we we formed in 1982. Mm. So that would have been world the during the World's Fair. We you right. know I was in a punk band before that called the Real Hostages, and Dave was in that as well. And so we just said, well, that that kind of went up in flames. <laughs> and uh, as every <laughs> punk band should, no punk band should end quietly, right? Right. Yeah, like this is to be a, um, just a, a flaming mess on its way to the ground. <laughs> it must be. It's like Ozzy Osbourne must be a jerk. Yeah. You know, it's otherwise it's the universe will fall apart. So we formed that band in 82, and then we played a lot regularly uh, until – 93 you know like yeah summer 93 and that was pretty much it we did have like a reunion show or two in there but not much and then i think it all just you know an accident dave was driving by historic knoxville high Mm -hmm. And he saw the sign, and he, he he called me and said, "Man, if we ever make another record, we've got the title for the record." And I was like, "What is it?" <laughs> he goes, "Historic Knoxville High." And of course, you know, Smoking Dave and the Primo Dopes, Historic Knoxville High is perfect. <laughs> and I just started laughing. I go, "Man, that's the genius of Dave." I've driven by that a hundred times and never got the joke. Yeah, you just you just looked at it as a place, as a high school. Yeah, it, and, not a state of mind. <laughs> yeah, or an activity, you know, or, yeah, or a memory. Yeah. And so, shut that. Door. Yeah, and so that was what we did. We just basically said, "Okay, we got the title, that which usually comes last. We'll start. We got the title. All we need is a bunch of songs, and then we just started uh, putting together some things, you know, that we that were abandoned in the, back in the day, mm. and then wrote a bunch of new things, and then improvised a bunch of stuff. Well, it's not like." It's not like you guys just barely scraped out an, an EP uh, either. There's a ton of songs on that record, right? Yeah, it's it's probably like it's a good thing we don't have a manager 
or a, a business interest because they would they would not be happy with us. Um, and the ones we had in the past generally weren't happy with us. But yeah, it was. Uh, <laughs> I mean, it's a double album, basically. So that it really looks like it. It's going well. It's going to literally be one because that the album is at the pressing plant now. Oh, cool! And we always wanted to do a double album, quite frankly, because we we love like uh, the Beatles' White Album, and well, there's a new one by the Lees of Memory, which is John Davis from Super Drag. I love his double album, and uh, that that band's double album, and. You know, even the Clash, Sandinista, which is three, and Pink Floyd's The Wall, and, and you know, just all the different live albums. We just always loved double albums as kids. And so we wanted to make a double album. So we did. This is it. Because, yeah, like, well, like, we're not, we're not young, you know, <laughs> not even, we're not even close. The band's almost 40. <laughs> right. Yeah. The band's almost 40 years old. So we're like, damn it. We want to make a double record, yeah. Even though people, we know that you know, being in radio, I know this. I know what listening habits are, and people don't listen to double albums. Typically, they listen. They make playlists. And they listen to their favorite songs. But this is selfish and self indulgent. And I love it. And you, know, you know, we, <laughs> damn it, we want a double album. So we're gonna do it. Yeah, I love it. Are you are you from Knoxville? Mm-hmm. Grew up here. I was born in St. Mary's. Really? Yeah, and uh, went to Pond Gap. Oh, over uh, there on Hollywood and yeah, Sutherland. That's right. I used to live in Hollywood Hills. Oh, nice. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't live up to the name. It doesn't even vaguely resemble Hollywood, the real Hollywood Hills, but it was a good place to grow up. Yeah, so I went to Pond Gap, and then we moved over to Timbercrest, that, that neighborhood, which got us into Bearden. Okay. And so, yeah, and then... I went to Bearden in third grade. That's where I met Dave. We, we've known each other since then. Yeah, I read that you guys were were were, high, or were friends from a really young age. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He lived up the street, you know, and we would you know trade records, and he taught me an E chord. <laughs> and then and then Bearden High School. Yeah, too? yeah. Bearden Junior High, Bearden High School. Fellow Bulldog. In I the know. House. I love it. Yeah. And, and a baseball guy. We always end up talking about baseball, too, when we, when we get together. Were you sports growing up? I was very much, into, especially into playing baseball. Yeah. And um, But I'd read all these rock interviews with musicians about how they uh, sort of trash sports, a lot of them. Mm. Or, or, you know, they talked about in high school how, you know, like the division of people, yeah. you know, when the cliques in high school become real, you know, you got to choose a side. Arts or or athletics. Yeah, yeah, which is ridiculous. It is ridiculous. And um and so I, but I bought into it and I and I figured I want arts. Though I love like I like I was a pretty decent punter and uh and uh, I was a okay baseball player, not great on the, on either one, but but I loved playing sports but i just figured well this is these are my people over here even though when i went to beard and i got along with the jocks fine you yeah. know and and to this day you know a lot of those people are very very good friends but you found yourself more in the in the arts pulled towards the art side music yeah i felt like you know like in that that sort of um dualistic thinking it's like it's it has to be this 
it, it, it can't be that. And so, and also sold myself another lie, which was, well, if I play sports, then I'm not going to be as good on guitar, mm. you know, which is bullshit. Yeah. I mean, it's like I, all the time I spent watching Gilligan's Island and Love Boat and Fantasy Island, I could have been a lot better on guitar and sports. Sure. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. It, I think everybody, you see it in baseball with like, if you're, if you're a, uh, you know, pitchers, you spend all your time pitching, you know, you're never going to learn how to hit. And that's usually what happens. Yeah. Well, we have a once in a lifetime player right now who can throw a hundred mile an hour fastball and leads the league in home runs. Too. Yeah. And I think there's more of those guys out there. And then, you know, you have Madison Bumgarner, who was the greatest postseason pitcher in history, in baseball history. But he also, you know, you had more home runs than several of the guys on his team. Yeah. Absolutely. And he was a clutch hitter. So, yeah. And, yeah. And, I mean, I eventually came came to my senses, but but um, but Bearden was very fertile for the arts, and mm. I found a great arts department. <laughs> yeah, you know, anything from you know the uh, uh, from the band, you know, to musical theater, it's huge, and tons of resources for you there. That's and, where I found myself infatuated with the arts. If I had I not gone to school there, you know, I would I would have been playing intramural sports instead of taking theater classes you know yeah and they and it was and it's good for you you know that like like i couldn't really find my niche Mm. in school you know i wasn't that into the academics i was i mean i could do it like i know how to make a good grade though it seems a bit silly Mm. just memorize all this shit yeah (laughs) and spit it back out and forget it okay that's all right is that how the game's played okay um, though there were a lot of teachers that were way better than, than using that, that model, of course, <laughs> but a lot of them did. And, but just, you know, taking drama classes and, and, and teacher and music classes and teachers that pushed you a little bit, like in drama, I was like, what's, you know, what's the, what's the part with the least lines? That's the part <laughs> I want. And the, you know, Dean Long, the late, great Dean Long is just like, no, no, I'm not going to give you that one because I know you, you you'll be much better at this, and you know your grade to blah blah blah. Okay, and uh, that was fun. Got out of your comfort zone a little bit. Yeah, and yeah. then and then there was Mr. Francis, uh, the late great. I think most of the teachers I, I had in high school are the late great, <laughs> um, but the uh, he was something else. He 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 did like course and all that, but then he did a class called solo and ensemble. Hmm. And all it was was, I mean, literally, come in and practice your instrument. That's great. Every day, first thing for an hour, and then play with these other people that are practicing their instruments. And you all work out what you want to play, but you have to be playing the whole. I don't want, want y'all sitting around talking about um, Frank Zappa records. I want you, you learning a Frank Zappa song or whatever it is you want to learn. Yeah. It's Aerosmith or Frampton Comes Alive, you know. Uh, and and he would just peek in every once in a while to make sure we were playing, and that was it. No curriculum, no no syllabus, no nothing. And now part of that was because I think he had some personal issues, right? Um, I think he was struggling with some personal issues, but on the other hand, he didn't let us goof off, right? 
And by and when I got out of that class, my guitar playing was, you know, five times better. Really? Yeah. And also, you know, I learned to play in time, learned to play in tune, because I was playing with Jonathan Moorfield, the the drummer, the late great Jonathan Moorfield, um, and. It was and people teaching me. Oh, here's how you play Imagine on the piano. Yeah, you know, and so yeah, you 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 weren't a piano player, right? Right. So yeah. I didn't know how to play anything, and they're like, "Okay, here's how you play Imagine on the piano." And like, "Okay, here's how you play Freebird on the guitar." And this was all in public school. That's the crazy part. Yeah. Was it in those big rooms over by the theater? Is that is that it was in the uh, music rooms behind the stage? There were some rooms mm. behind the stage. Yeah, and um, yeah. Mr. Francis, God rest his soul, I guess I can tell this story now. I mean, there's statute of limitations, but <laughs> he used to give me his car uh, and and his keys and send me out to buy stuff in the day. Dur- during during school? Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. For his mixers. Really? Yeah. Yeah, he did have some... Some stuff yeah, going on. Yeah, he he was he had he had a, a addiction problem and and you know and and it was the seventies so people didn't know quite how to handle them like they right. do now. Um, and I know he was struggling, you know. Now I look back now and so I, I always felt in a weird way that he trusted me. I was I was yeah. very honored that I went out and got his margarita mix. But there <laughs> I was going to Kroger's and picking up his margarita mix. And and to think that it was also the most like. Probably a really pivotal moment for your music career too. Yeah, I mean, I mean, he, you know, you got to take people again that dualistic thinking. He's like, he's not just a guy with an addiction problem. You know, mm-hmm. he's a yeah. human being and he's struggling, and he's helping, and yeah. he's failing, and he's succeeding, and he's like, yeah. he's he's a complex person. And you know, at one point he was like, um, he was going to give me a scholarship to study classical guitar like he had found someone to sponsor me i mean this is a guy you know who's fascinating he's having real problems but he was helping kids out yeah and he wasn't hurting any of us you know right um so that's kind of my takeaway especially in retrospect and i i actually told him i didn't want to study classical guitar but i was very grateful but i mean no one else was no one else is coming to me in those days going like, we believe in you, kid. Yeah. Here's, we're going to invest in you. Not that I was expecting it or, you know. But well, you must have sh- shown, shown some aptitude for the, for the six string right around that time. Yeah, I think he could tell how much I loved it. Gotcha. Yeah. And, and even I thought I wasn't good enough to play classical. Though with the right teacher, I probably could have been okay. But... um. But I think he he saw that I was really a lifer as a musician. Yeah, and he maybe he recognized that in himself. You know. Yeah. Did you uh, did you go to UT after that? Yep. Straight straight there. Yeah. Study yeah, music. Like straight there, Andy Holt Apartments, <laughs> uh, which the late grade. At the late, I was going to say. Damn. Also, I shouldn't name anything because it's, it's going <laughs> to this 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 now drinking mug is broken. Um, but yeah, I went. I I enrolled there and. Uh, journalism had no math, so I said, oh, great, I'll be a journalist. So so you didn't study music at UT? Mm-mm. Okay. No, nah, because um, at that point, I'd really discovered like David Bowie, Frank Zappa, uh, Devo, mm. the Sex Pistols, The Clash, 
these were not things that were going to be addressed at UT. Right. And and you had to do classical or jazz. And I was like, well, I don't want to play jazz. I don't want to play classical. And I'll be miserable if I force myself to do either one of those things. Right. Um, even though God loved the 70s and early 80s, there was a, a professor named Steve Young who... The late great. <laughs> it is. Actually, just a couple of weeks ago. Oh, man. I know. I just I just heard. And uh, Sorry. That's okay. He, he had a great run. Yeah. He, it was the late great Steve Young. And he had a class called New Wave Ensemble. What's that? Well, that's it. That's the thing. It's like, you know... Like I'm, he taught history of rock, ah. so I was. He was, he was very into like punk rock, and new wave music, and he asked a bunch of us, you know, like if I put together a class that did new wave music, would you guys join in? Like, are you kidding me? Yes. So you were in his history of rock class. Yeah. And then he 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 took a little a small group of you guys <laughs> and made the new wave ensemble. I love it. So again, public education. Yeah. You know, good old socialist uh, punk rock. Yep. You know, you got your socialist football. You got your <laughs> socialist baseball. You got your socialist punk rock. Um, you know, okay, that may be a stretch. But <laughs> nonetheless, it was public education. And and back in those days, it was uh, college was affordable, you know. Yeah. And um, and there we were, you know. Writing punk rock songs, and he put there were like nine of us together, which is too many people for punk rock, but and new wave. But we put on a concert, you know, as our final project. Really? Yeah. Played at a, played at a church over in Fort Sanders. It wasn't the uh, 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 what's it called? Not the Laurel Theater, is that? No, but is it block behind it? There was a church back there on Highland Avenue. Yeah, I think I know. I can't remember the name of it, but yeah, we maybe it wasn't a church at that point, but we played there on like a Sunday night. And then my my actual punk band opened up the real hostages, but the um, but yeah, and that was and Steve was amazing, and he you know I went into his office and on his wall he had a a a, a letter being a, being chastised by the administration of UT. Nice, that's punk rock as shit right there. Yeah, that's <laughs> that's I mean like take that and you yeah. you nineteen year old you know snotty nosed kid. <laughs> And it was, and I was like, "What's that? What's this all about?" And he was like, "Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, re- I, I, I uh, for for my faculty recital, I, I went and bought a uh, a, a damaged fire damaged piano from Maryville College, and I played Stockhausen. I think it was Stockhausen. And then me and a couple of students rolled the piano out into the uh, yard outside the music building and chopped it to pieces with axes." <laughs> I'm not worthy. This is this is my guru. And and one of those students was Terry Hill, who was the guitar player in the band Balboa, which was like the uh, for me the seminal Knoxville band of the 70s. Um Hector Kirko was in that band mm. and and uh yeah, and when I found out Terry had helped him chop the piano up, I was like, okay, this is this this is legendary. <laughs> that is legendary. And so, so he puts this uh, nine-person punk band together too. Yeah, <laughs> that like sounds noisy. Yeah, the ensemble. That, uh, so when I was at when I was at UT, I remember the uh, history of rock teacher Wendell Warner 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 Warner. Yeah, yeah, Warner. He was like 
legendary on campus. I never took his class, but but I heard about it. Yeah. The, so I feel like that that's that's a position. That's a pretty sweet position. <laughs> it is, and in fact, um, when Steve retired, or right before he retired, he says, "Do you want to teach the summer session?" Oh, really? I was like. You know, do you want chocolate ice cream? Yes. Yeah. yeah. Do you want a new guitar? Yes. You know, the, I mean, these certain questions have only one answer. And, were you a student uh, still? Or no, uh, no were, I was. Were, I was already out. Long gone. Yeah, I was out. I'd been out and playing a lot, and I taught it for like three years every summer. Did you? And it was. I mean, it was. A, it was an honor. It was a joy. And I, and I still run into some of my former students. You know, really, because I, I gave. Uh, because I did it in summer, there was more interaction with the students because it was a class. Because of Steve Young, the class became so popular; it had like three, four hundred people in it. Yeah, right. And so I never taught that one. I taught the summer with only like forty people. Gotcha. So we had papers and stuff, and I was like, "Okay, um, you're Colonel Tom Parker. Elvis has just come out of the army. The Beatles are coming to the United States." Everyone's advising you not to put him in movies. Well, then what are you going to do? How are you going to make Elvis take on the Beatles? And I and I want sources. I want like I want you to like cite information. I want you to make a case and make an argument about what your plan for Elvis would have been and why it would have worked. And and some of them were just brilliant. You made like an escape room out of your class. Yes. <laughs> Speaking of which, I had a student that. Uh, I called his name on the roll, you know, every day for like the first two weeks, and he just was never there. So I quit calling his name. And on the last day of class, on the final exam, he walks in, and he says, uh, uh, "Hey, man!" It's <laughs> like, "Yes, you can call me Hey, man, or Teacher, or Mister Steed, or Todd, uh, or Hey, man." And he goes, "Hey, man, uh, I'm really sorry I'm missing your class." And I'm like. Well, it's, I mean, you should have just dropped it, you know, yeah. that way I don't have to give you an F. Yeah. He's like, well, that's what I want to talk to you about. I've been following the Grateful Dead all summer. <laughs> and I was wondering if I could write a paper on that and use it as credit. That's <laughs> some stoner ingenuity right there. Yeah, like like <laughs> high-grade stoner ingenuity, but with also high-grade uh, spiritual condiments, I assume. Yes. <laughs> and, and I kind of looked at him and I said, I would have absolutely let you do that if you would have come to me, you know. At the beginning? At the beginning, yeah. So it's, yeah. it's not fair for anybody else now, you know. Yeah. And, and 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 it's kind of it's kind of ridiculous that you're coming in the last day proposing this because I would have given you some parameters. Sure. You know, like, you know, is Jerry Garcia, are people clapping for Jerry Garcia when he's not playing well? Yes or no, you know, or whatever, you know, like, and why? Um, why is he getting away with this? And, you know, I had also, I would have had all sorts of things for him to like answer. But he said, well, they're going to kick me out of my fraternity uh, if 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 I fail this class because my GPA will go below a certain level. And I said, you can thank me later. Yeah. <laughs> and he did not appreciate, he didn't appreciate that, that sarcasm. And, uh, I don't know. I, I would love to know what happened to him. <laughs> I can't remember his name. Grateful Dead was 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 on fire uh, then, I guess. And that would that have been the eighties or was that well that early nineties? That would it was been early nineties, yeah. Uh, but they were. I mean, and I remember when, the, like in eighty seven, eighty eight, they were really 
they just got this new breath of life and touch of gray and all that yeah. came out as well. They had a video, you know, uh, that <laughs> was actually a lot of overlays. <laughs> yeah. You know, like, Ooh, cool skeletons. But they, um, yeah, I, I, uh, that was a kind of a cool period, you know, just in general, because I felt like I like long songs. I like extended mm. solos. Now I don't like everybody's. I don't right. like mine always, but that's one thing with the dopes. That was also like one of the things like um, in the past, we never would have put a 13-minute song called Grass Canyon on a record or a 17-minute song called Formless Field on a record, which – and both those songs are basically improvised in the studio over there at Arbor, you know, right right across the uh, Alcoa Highway. And so we, that that was you know, but we always had that element. We always like long extended pieces, you know, with echoes and yeah, and effects. And so we experimental stuff, yeah, improvisational. And that was yes. And so that was the thing. Like you know, we were smoking. Dave was kind of out of the punk rock thing, but we loved Pink Floyd. Mm. You know, we loved Yes, and uh, Dave loved Yes. I tolerated and liked Yes. <laughs> you know, and. Uh, and we liked a lot of these these bands and that would ex- extend and stretch out, though we rarely did it because you know again that dualistic thinking of like okay we're we're from this kind of movement so we need to keep the song short. But then as the band as the dopes went on, we did do that live. You know we, we would do we had a song called Speedball that <laughs> just was insane and we we had long improvisational sections in it and. We call people up from the audience and things like that. So it's like, well, let's put that on record. Yeah. And if nobody likes it, <laughs> so what? Yeah. You know, what are they going to do? Well, so it, it's it's I'm always kind of jealous that I miss like the new wave of punk rock kind of era. But how how do you get from how do you get from from being a punk kid into you know into enjoying jazz music? Yeah, well, that's an excellent query. Uh, and that's the thing. It was like, I always loved it. And and that's, you know, genres are a fascinating concept because in a way they're, they're phony and they're really mm-hmm. a business idea mm-hmm. more than a musical idea. You know, that's, I mean, you can't, if you're going to be do Hawaiian ukule- ukulele music, you're going to want to, have a name for it, you know, so people know where to find it and how to buy it. And it met that I totally get it. And that's like why a lot of jazz musicians don't, aren't really crazy about the word jazz. Some don't mind it. Some hate it, but they all understand that if you're putting out a record, you're going to have to put the word jazz on it somewhere. So radio stations will know that they're, they're going to play it or, you know, you're going to play at the jazz standard or the jazz showcase or whatever. So, but as a kid, you know, my, my parents listened to jazz and especially New Orleans music. And then when I um, came to UT, I met a lot of people in the jazz program and they were just, you know, check this out, check this out, check this out. And then a lot of my favorite rock musicians like Frank Zappa or, or the Birds or even the Beatles – you know, they would talk about, oh, you know, I got this this um, guitar solo in Eight Miles High is kind of a takeoff on on Coltrane. Mm. I'm like, oh yeah, 
Well, I love that. <laughs> so I bet I would like this. And I and and you know when the dopes were on the road, we were listening to Monk and Mingus and Miles Davis really? constantly. And we were on the road. We would go out and see. Like we were playing in New York, we'd go see Herbie Hancock or Tony Williams or, um, you know, we were playing in Raleigh one time and McCoy Tyner, speaking of Coltrane, his his piano player was playing at a free outdoor concert. We are like, sound check's over. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You know, like, uh, I don't care if we sound like shit tonight. Uh, McCoy Tyner is playing. This is in John Coltrane's quartet. We've got to go. So you guys were nerding out to some jazz. All the way. But, so, your, but your music that you were playing on the road at that time was not jazz music, right? No, but it was it was informed. Jazz infused. It was in yeah. the, you know, like if you really knew it. And we did play Take the A Train and Girl from Ipanema. Sometimes they were send-ups. but um, And we did play one Mingus cover. Again, we'd never put those things on records. Mm. We played uh, a, Mingus, a Mingus cover too. And, uh, and then we'd see a band, like there's a band called Will and the Bushman that was out of Mobile. And Will's now playing with Amy Lou Harris. But, you know, they played a Love Supreme one night when we saw them like, what the hell? Uh, so I've always loved it. And then when I worked at WUTK, I had a jazz show there. So I was I was into it pretty heavy. And Dave and I had a, a jazz show. And I'll never forget one time, um, it's called Pioneers in Jazz, that he put on a 27-minute Mingus, Mingus song. It was all along one side of a record. You know, it probably sounded like crap because yeah, it was compressed. Compressed so far. Yeah, and he went down to uh, Raven Records and bought another jazz record while it was on the air and came back and played it <laughs> as the next song. <laughs> so, uh, how long? So you guys, you said that the uh, that the Dopes were together for nine years or so. Uh, I think from- it was. Or 11? 11 years. 11 yeah. years? It goes to 11. So, yeah. <laughs> so, how? what was the touring like? How, did you guys tour every year, every summer, like whenever you could? A lot, I guess, is the answer. And, you know, it was like that stealth touring that a lot of bands came to do after a while of trying it the other way, where you would go out Thursday through Sunday. Yeah. We Weekend did a, Warrior. Yeah, we did a lot of those because we found out if we went out for two weeks that Sunday through Wednesday usually were, in many ways, a disaster, you know. And uh, though, you know, we managed to have a lot of fun on those days. Uh, But um, it was was incredibly fun. You know, it was incredibly fun because it's all still sort of new. A lot of times you're playing in a pizza place or something. Mm. And then you're running into REM and you're running into the replacements and Husker Du and (laughs) – and. and and a lot of bands like us, you know, like Government Cheese and and a bunch of bands from Athens or or wherever, and NRBQ. Yeah, we played with them like seven or eight times. Really? Yeah, which is you know that's like. What's with Athens and 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 the you know, you got REM Colonel Bruce Hampton was he? A, he's Atlanta, but he's yeah, Atlanta. but he he was very popular in in, in, in Athens. A widespread Panic. Yeah, um, NRBQ, I think, and B52s. Yeah, B52s too. Yeah, the pylon. Yeah, why? Why is there such a disproportionate uh, uh, amount of of famous rock bands that came out of Athens, I think, Georgia? I think what really happened was, first of all, they had a great art school mm-hmm. and a great art scene, and uh, and there and as the guys in REM were very quick to point out, there's nothing else to do in Athens, especially in the mm, summer. Yeah. So you have to start a band just to keep from getting bored. But I think when the B-52s and REM broke out, 
I think that spurred everybody on. Hmm. And not only that, it also spurred record companies to come there. So if Knoxville had had a big breakout band in the 80s, right. um, maybe that would have happened here. But, I, you know, Knoxville scene in the has always had great, great bands, I think. But the... Um, but the the early touring was to me like the most about the most fun I've ever had. Really? Because, How old were you guys in your twenties? Yeah, early twenties. Yeah, you know, mid twenties. You know, you'd go somewhere and people would come out to see you just because you were from out of town. Really? That's all it took. You did not have to be good. I think our name actually, you know, like a manager would have told us like you need to drop the primo dopes part, um, or just be the dopes or you know whatever, yeah. but. I think our name attracted a certain element. Yeah. Because people are always coming up wanting to buy uh, weed from us. You know, <laughs> like, well, that's actually, we don't offer that service. Um, but we will play a song about it. Or we'll write one tonight about you asking for it. And, uh, but I think, you know, in those days, and we also had a record out, we had a 45, mm. and we'd get that to college radio stations, and they would pretty much play it. And, you know, because there just wasn't that much competition, which helped us tremendously. And so, you know, we would play like in um, Raleigh on a Friday night and people come out just because we're from out of town. Like, oh, there's an out of town band. Let's go see them. They have got a funny name uh, or a name we can relate to. (laughs) And and they would come out, you know. And I remember we played so many places where you would immediately feel the family of of that scene and people would always offer to put you up and like come stay with us yeah. and and we'll help you get a gig in Greenville that's cool we'll help you get a great north and south carolina we're talking like major <laughs> Both ex- greenvilles yes major expansion <laughs> with an e and without yes yes <laughs> you want one with an e we got that one without an e we got that and then there's this whole sort of network you know, came by, you know, even REM, like when they came to Knoxville, there, there was this sort of like um, brothers of the road and sisters of the road kind of vibe, you know, where they came down and opened up for or opened up for us in Athens one night because they remembered us from like our gig together in Knoxville. REM did? Yeah. It's like we were playing in Athens and it was like a Monday. I talked about that. It was a two week tour and it's like a Monday night and Peter Buck walks in and goes, dopes, you know. <laughs> And I was like, oh, man. He goes, yeah. He goes, uh, well, you don't have an opener tonight. And I was like, yeah. He goes, we'll do it. And I was like, we, we <laughs> as in your band that the other guys are in are your side project. No, he says, uh, R.E.M., we're, we're, we're working on this record document. We want to try out all the new songs. We're like, be my guest. <laughs> and, of course, this is pre-cell phones. So people were running up and down the street telling people. That REM was yeah, playing. And, yeah. And so, we, you know, we were probably going to play for 20 people and then we we're playing for a packed house. That's awesome. And then at the end of the night, you know, they're like, y'all keep all the door. Really? Yeah. And were that, they already doing great at this point? They were already doing great. Yeah. Um, but they, you know, they said nice things about us from the stage yeah. and, and uh, you know, and it was like, the, and, and and you take the REM out of the, the other other bands were doing nice things for other bands all the time, and I'm sure it's the same way now. Like there, there there are lots of, of of these kinds of connections, but it it really felt like you were in a very small family, yeah, and uh, and you were accepted in that family just because you came, you know, with your three minute songs. Speaking of uh, 
you know, saying nice things about you from the stage. I, I think that, so my, my, my five-year-old daughter had just been born. So this, this would have been almost five years ago. Uh, we went and saw Abigail Washburn and, um, and Bela Fleck at the, uh, at the Bijou, I think. We had our little baby with us. She was really small. Oh, and uh, Baby's first concert. Baby's first concert. Yeah, she was like two months old or something. We thought it'd be a good, quiet, you know, little banjo. And, yeah, that'd yeah, be fine. That's, that's doable. But if I remember correctly, they mentioned you hanging out at, hanging out at your house or something the night before. Is that right? Oh, yeah, yeah. They I said think- something from the stage about <laughs> hanging out with our buddy Todd Steed last night. Like, I didn't know Bela and Todd were buddies. <laughs> yeah, that was – um. Well, they're just – first of all, there's some of the most wonderful people ever um, beyond just their talent, which is immense. But, uh, yeah, so, yeah, I worked with them for a, for a short period and um, on, like, the, the uh, like day-to-day management kind of stuff. Oh, cool. And so, yeah, they would come through town and they would stay over. And, I, you know, I'd wake up and Baylor would be downstairs practicing. He goes, oh, I, do you mind me practicing? I'm like, no. <laughs> I've, no. Got, I've got the, the world-class banjo player, maybe the best one in the world. Do you mind me taking notes? <laughs> and um, But the – the craziest story was Abigail's band came through one one night and they stayed there. And the stayed at na- your house? Yeah, they stayed yeah. at the house. And the neighbor uh, saw them kind of carrying stuff in and out and thought they were breaking in. Because <laughs> there had been some break-ins in the neighborhood uh, that he didn't report. Yeah, right. <laughs> And so he said, "Well, I'll report this one." Yeah, some guy kicked in our front door like like a year before that, and he's he's like, "I thought I heard something." I'm like, "Oh," and, and anyway, he took my best Gibson SG that I've ever owned. I'm sorry. That's okay. I had insurance. Oh, uh, but still irreplaceable. Yeah, yeah. Uh, these things happen. Yeah. Uh, he was ready the next time. Yeah. And so uh, <laughs> so he so he called him this. He time. called the cops on on Abby and her band, <laughs> and. I was at work, right? And so they were, the cops came and like get down on the back deck and they had guns drawn and everything. For for Abigail and her band? Yeah. And there was Kai. Kai Welch is uh, the guitar singer, keyboard player. And he, he told me the story. He was like, he's like, get on the girls. He goes, yes, sir, yes, sir, yes, sir, yes, sir. And, uh, and, and, they said, uh, you know, we're friends of Todd's. And they're like, who's Todd? You know, yeah. and like, he owns, he and his wife own this house and they we're staying here. And he's like, and they said, okay. And they looked up, they looked up my name and they called me at UT mm. and, and said, this is officer so-and-so. Um, I have these magicians. <laughs> Over here that say that they, they're your friends. I'm like, I said, you mean musicians? And I was, you know, I wasn't trying to be a, a jerk, but I was like, they're, and he misunderstood them. So we're, we're, they said, we're, we're musicians. He goes, they're magicians. And that became a running joke for a while. And, uh, and so I said, no, no, they're, they're supposed to be there. And, and, and the cops are like, okay, oh, sorry, very sorry. And, you know, <laughs> and they they left. It turns out they had just come from uh, like a, a, an actual like shootout. 
the cops had. Yeah. So they were before, good keyed up. They were good and keyed up. Yeah. Underst- I actually understand uh, why they were keyed up. And, you know, it could have gone horribly wrong. Sure. Uh, give, you change a couple of circumstances. Sure. But uh, they were fine. But but then they're like, Abby, you want to stay with us again? And like, ah, yeah. <laughs> I think she's coming to I think she's coming to town sometime soon. I'll have to go. Yeah. Check it out. Well what's what's the the whole there's like a a, a you and 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 Bela Fleck and Jeff Coffin and Mitch Rutman, I think about of like this oh, this yeah. connection, this guard of like of of some kind of Knoxville uh kind of centerpiece that that keeps all that together. How did that all how did that all happen, and how do you guys all know each other? Well, I mean, there's a, lo- a lot of different ways. Um, but I think just – and this is something I always tell, like, you know, like someone just sort of starting out or, or going going forward a little bit. I'm like, just – you need to go out and tour – even if it's a failure, mm. because it generally is, you know, like it's generally on some level, touring is probably going to be a failure. Like you're either going to lose money or you're going to get disheartened or you're going to get each other's nerves or maybe not any of those things. But chances are you're going to have at least some really bad times. Mm. But you're going to meet so many people and you're going to also challenge yourself and you're going to learn what it's like to be uncomfortable (laughs) and uh, you're going to learn how to negotiate and all these skills, you know, uh, that no matter what you do, you're going to use the rest of your life, you know, learning how to like negotiate things and, and get out of trouble. (laughs) And, and, uh, and so I think one of the most valuable things about us for touring was we could also see Knoxville from a distance, which actually made Knoxville look pretty good because yeah. we would go to the cities and go, oh, we don't have this, we don't have that. And then there's, you see some things that Knoxville might lack, you know, especially in the old days, like a really thriving downtown while well, we have that now. But, um, but uh, you know, you're just getting out there and th- you just get out there and things happen. You're not, by sitting at home, making a demo tape, maybe a YouTube video, sometimes you can strike gold or luck out that way, but you're, you're not having the human connection and you're not developing friendships the same way as if you're face to face, and sometimes the internet, you know, Twitter or whatever is a great way to get that started. Um, but there's no there's no substitute for the live music experience. It's why watching a four hour concert on YouTube, a Grateful Dead show or something, compared to being in a Grateful Dead show for four hours, it's not even remotely the same thing. I think people learn that during the pandemic. When everybody, you know, did the couch tour live from, you know, live from Zoom concerts, it just yeah. didn't stick. It's not the same thing. Yeah, you and know? and 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 they did what they had to do, and sure. I, did, I did a few of them just because of, of, of boredom. It's not it's not a replacement. It's not a replacement, and and all you know, all those those gigs where we were going out, you know, and maybe you were playing Lexington on a on a Tuesday night for thirty people. Well, first of all, that. That humbles you <laughs> pretty quickly, mm. um, especially if they don't like it. Like if you clear the room, you know, and the room's already small and the only <laughs> p- people left are the next band, you know, I think that actually is good for you. And 
but then you you know you meet people and you and you see other types of businesses and other ways of doing things and and that's you know we were playing Memphis one night and I think it might have been like a weeknight probably was and the replacements were in town recording Please to Meet Me which is one of my favorite records turn end up being one of my favorite records and they show up at at the antenna club in Memphis and they're like they're wanting to play they're wanting to play and like so it was like half their band and a half our band did a set and they they were they were wasted <laughs> and and the whole thing was videotaped and and several people go I I want to see that tape and I said I'll show you but you have to promise me you'll never ask for it again if you don't make it till the end and don't ask me to post it and no one's ever made it to the end because it was just such a train wreck but but that's the thing it's like it was an adventure you know yeah. and 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 then we meet you know Jason and the Scorchers or whatever and they're saying oh well we can get you we can get you an opener here or whatever and then maybe uh we were playing in Charlotte one night and the guy's like I really like your music I want to finance your next record and I'm like I'm thinking about starting a record label and I'm like <laughs> well you're the only one that's ever asked so yes Exactly, man. Yeah. It, not going to happen if you're sitting at home. No, and even not going to happen even if you just post it. You know. Yeah. Um, that's that's a that's a that's a pretty good stroke of luck right there. Yeah, that was our specialty. Yeah. But yeah, and it was um, <laughs> uh, that was Charlotte at a club called the Milestone, and you know that the record was t- that he ended up we paid for the recording of it because I think it was already done, and he paid for the pressing of the album and, mm. and the cassettes and um. You know, and you know, it just wouldn't happen sitting at home. And that's how you met Bela and 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 um, who else did I say? Bela Jeff and, Coffin. Yeah. Uh, no, I, I mean, I met Jeff through his girlfriend. Yeah, she's at Knoxville, right? Yeah, or his, now his wife. Yeah, she was one of my uh, international students. No way, Ryoko. Yeah. So you know, I met him through her. And is that how your your Flectones uh, connections? No, no. Too? So I worked at so I worked at so after the international thing, and then before UOT, I worked at AC Entertainment for like three years. So AC a, was in its infancy at this time, I guess. Yeah, it had been around for a while. So but this they was just after, started doing management at that point. Gotcha. So this was after Ella Garou's. Yeah, yeah. Um, this would have been like two thousand eight, nine. Oh 10, wow, so okay. Fairly recent. Oh okay. Yeah, and so I so. They were starting up a management thing, and I was like, oh, I know. I always kind of wanted to try that, you know. And so uh, that's where – so that's how I worked with Abby and Bela and yeah. and a bunch of other people. And I met a ton of great people through that. Yeah, I didn't know that part of your – I didn't know that part of your history. It's pretty brief, you know. Three years, yeah. Yeah, it was I a pretty so. brief period. And, and, and it was, you know, it was – I mean, artist management is like – that's a tough gig, man. Yeah. I mean, it's like it consumes your your nine and day, and 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 so I I just realized like, man, if I I would have done this when I was thirty, I probably would have enjoyed it a lot more. And I enjoyed I enjoyed a lot of it, um, uh, and working with Abby and Bela and uh, Ben Soli and people like that, it was really cool. But and and also getting you know all the backstage fun and hijinks as a result. But the um, <laughs> Yeah, the VIP treatment. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> or at least seeing people get the VIP treatment and then, <laughs> from backstage. <laughs> yeah, and then when they leave, you then you have their you know their cinnamon roll that they didn't eat. <laughs> I'll take it. <laughs>
I did that at Red Lobster, you know, and like busting tables and like, hey, they didn't eat, they didn't eat their shrimp. You get it. It's musician life, man. You yeah. Do what it takes. Um, but yeah. So, and it was really interesting. I learned a ton, but I, at that point, I was like, I want something just a little less crazy. And, and so that's when the UOT gig happened. I was already working at WUOT at the time, just about 10 hours a week. Mm. And I just kind of, and also, not to just bore you with so many details, but while I was doing artist management, I really sort of fell in love with doing radio. Really? And because I'd done radio before. During this 10 hour a week period that you were doing? Yeah, you yeah. kind of rekindled a flame? Yeah, because I'd done it in college. And then actually, when I lived in Indonesia, I also had it, oddly enough, a radio show there. And then when I was in Lithuania, I had a TV program there. So I'd always kind of like producing things. Yeah, I know that sounds like bullshit but it's, no. i swear it's true i've been to your shows before i know i know the stories oh yeah yeah we sung the sung the lithuanian folk songs yeah. the fake ones um <laughs> but yeah and so i'd always loved doing radio and then you know when i was working at uot i just i just told went to regina dean and i just said if, if there's ever a chance for me to come full time that's what i'd like to do the most she took you up on it eventually yeah and so, I mean, they, we had to wait for some people to retire. Yeah. And then uh, when a couple of people retired, she just called me up out of the blue one day. And I was like, yep. I love it, man. Yeah, I was very fortunate. Yeah. Your, your specialty, right? <laughs> well, I, I mean, I always loved radio as a kid, listening to it. I had shortwave radios. I, you know, I just, I used to listen to radio obsessively, record my favorite radio shows on a cassette deck and re-listen to them and study them and. So it's something I've always actually loved from the from the word go, and when when the dopes were touring, we we would always you know get into a, a new city and really go through the dials, and you could find some just crazy wonderful stuff. Do you geek out on the gear? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I love I love it. And when when the pandemic came, I had to like make a radio studio in my house. Mm-hmm. I had a music studio, but it's not the same thing, you know. Right. Like you you wouldn't want the room this dead. You 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 want. You want more uh, reflections and things off the wood. Yeah. But um, yeah, I mean, that, I geeked out that whole period. I really? used a different software. I used Logic instead of Adobe. And, and you know, I, I got into using a different preamps and compressors, things I would generally not have the time to do at UOT yeah. because, like, someone else is waiting to get in the studio, dude. Right. Uh, you don't need to try tw- 12 compressors. No one's going to know. Yeah. <laughs> no one's going to care. Uh but when I when it, during the pandemic, you know, I was just me in my little mad scientist room, and so I would, I would try different preamp settings and just just to see. You know. That was a great part about the pandemic; it gave people space to do stuff like that. And now that it's a, it was not over yet, ladies and gentlemen, but uh, but now that it's at least subsiding a little, um, I think a lot of people, myself included, have reevaluated what time means mm-hmm. and what you want to do with it. And especially, as I mentioned, the, all these late greats, that's also, you know, that's also uh, in, anybody in my generation, you're thinking like, okay, best case, how many years, yeah. you know? How many, how many of those are good ones? Yeah. yeah. And so right now they're great. So uh, the pandemic's like, okay, I want to do more of this. I want to do more of that. Right. I, I want to record more. I want to play more. I want to be outside more. I want to camp more. Right. You know? Yeah. Simple things. Yeah. Well, anything uh, going on with the Sons of Fear? Uh, well, you know, when the dose came in, it's sort of like, 
had, yep. to, had to pick a band. <laughs> yeah, I had to pick a band, and and they were and they were there. And it's, and and the dope thing's been really really rewarding. Good. And, and plus, Dave and Doug are are uh, both inspirational people to me on a number of levels in terms of just who they are as people. Uh, the unique chemistry that we have it's it's quite unusual because our personalities are all especially as we've gotten older our personalities are all very different but we have a very core belief about life that we share mm. you know that I can't articulate but we also have a, a core I think sensibility about music that is that there should be no rules it should be fun let your creativity go. Don't worry about the end result. Worry about what you're doing. Worry about, you know, uh, just have as much fun as you can. And and the Sons of Fear, to the same degree, has that philosophy. But there's a but there's a unique history with the dopes that is is longer, you know, right. like um that goes back to the 82. So so that's been my thing. Now I do have something I'm working on that also another pandemic. Thing I started a, a, a soundtrack album for a movie that will never be made called Barkus, Dog Priest of the Mojave. <laughs> well, did you make the movie or are you just scoring it? I'm scoring it and writing like an outline of the movie. And then I think that'll be the end of the movie part of it. You know, like Frank Zappa did Joe's Garage, uh, speaking of great double, triple albums, um, you know, where the, the, it was never a movie. But it was, did he want it to be a movie? I don't think so. You know, I think he wanted uh, Uncle Meat to be a movie and Thingfish to be a Broadway play, but they never were. So there's sort of a libretto and an outline, and there's a lot of um, there's a lot of jazz in it. A in lot Barkus, of, yeah, yeah, and a lot of uh, some orchestral type, like mm. string quartet things, things that you know, like really push myself on. So that's that's next, and the musicians are, are from all over the world. So there's a there's an app called Sound Better, and you get on there and, and you like you type in avant garde trumpet player or jazz trumpet player, and then they list all these people from around the world. You get to pick which one you and want you to go put and listen your... to what they play. And there's yeah. a guy named, like the guy named Bruno from Brazil. And I was like, yeah, that's my guy, you know. Yeah. And so I would write you know things that were a little out of my league, and they would help me with them. So yeah, so that's so Barkus Dog Priest the Mojave is what's coming next, and then a Sons of Fear record, I hope. Okay. <laughs> well, I'm I'm excited to get to get to see you out again. Your shows are always fun. Like I said, I've never been to a dope show, but um, Sons of Fear shows are always fun. You your personality comes out so much. You you know your songs are some of them a little tongue in cheek, which is which is great, uh, mixed with some seriously good musicianship too. It's it's an enjoyable time. Smile on your face, but it puts a smile on your face really easily. Well, you know, we can't smile enough these days. I mean, I mean, it's been a trying time yeah. in America uh, and around the world. And so, you know, the last time we came out, I remember thinking, doing the set list, I'm like, there's a couple of pretty serious songs in here. They're staying. Yeah. Um, there's one called Things Might Not Suck After All, you know, which is pretty... <laughs> It's not funny, but it's hopeful. Yeah. Um, but then also, you know, the beer polka song or whatever, you yes. know, we're going to throw in there. Yeah. Um, because I like to laugh. Yeah. 
And and that's another thing the dopes, you know, I think we were actually told by a record label one time, it's like, if you can just take the humor out, I think we have a great group. And I'm like, if you take the humor out, I don't want to do this. It's the it's not the group. You, this yeah. is a different group. Yeah. And this is not this group. And and I appreciate that you're interested. Um but uh yeah, I I I I need the humor and and I actually feel it's dishonest to take it out or to to minimize it because we yeah. that's how we are yeah. when when we're not playing in front of an audience if we're playing for each other. Right. We're laughing the whole time. Yeah. Anything else coming up? Uh, we're going to play the Second Bell Festival, the Dopes. This will be our first show. We haven't, you know, we were going to do all these shows, uh, and, pre, and the pandemic came, and yeah. we haven't even done an album release, you know. So we're playing the twenty seventh at Second Bell, and then we'll probably do some outdoor goodies in the fall. Okay, excellent. You still got your bazooki? I gave it to uh, John Baker uh, at Arbor Studios, but it's there in case uh, anybody needs it. Okay, perfect. Todd, thanks for doing this, man. I really appreciate it. It's great to see you. Oh, Ben, it's it's an honor, and and I'm so glad you're doing this, and and I wish you just keep doing it because it's wonderful to capture what's going on. There's so many. It's such a, a, a interesting time historically, and you're 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 documenting in a sense all these amazing changes we're going through, and like you know, when we talked about the early '80s. There was nothing. There were there were not things. There were some interviews and some fanzines and things, right. but no long form interviews, and and not lots of them. So it's 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 a gift, you know, that you're you're doing this. Well, thank you. I appreciate you saying that. That's the, I think you see where my head's at with it. Yeah. That's how I feel about it too. Cool. Well, thanks for thanks for being here and being part of it because you're an important part of the whole story. Well, thank you. And I and I have one question for you. Okay. Uh, can I use your bathroom? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Todd. All right. Thank you. What a pleasure that was. Down the hall and to the right. Man, what a guy. Thank you guys for being here. Appreciate you guys tuning in. we got another one coming at you next Monday. Take care of each other. Take care of yourselves. Safety third. Pitch wire. Play me out.